Well, welcome to church on this beautiful Sunday morning and wonderful weather for February. I don't even know what's going on, but I am not complaining. Don't ask me about last night. I might have been complaining last night in the middle of the night, but we're past that. A couple announcements for you today. Tonight's Faith in Focus, Pastor Potter will be highlighting and speaking on the family tonight, so don't miss that. And then we'll have normal classes as well. And then the meal train for me, I mean for us, the Stroops. Uh, thank you so much for everybody who's brought food for, to us. Thank you for the gift cards as well. It's been a big blessing, and thank you for that. Talk to Jen if you want any more details. Always awkward asking for things from the pulpit, I think, but that's what it says. This is very important. We are starting an outreach committee for our church. If you are interested, uh, please talk to Pastor. He is working to put together a committee and then examine and implement some activities for our community. Please talk to him as soon as possible if you would be interested in this. We are looking to continue reaching out into our community and making an impact. Uh, February Fun and Fellowship, the ladies' meeting, will be happening February 15th. Uh, this will be uh, at Jen True's house, so please register for that as soon as possible. Uh, Alicia Castellino will be speaking. and. Uh, RSVP to Rhonda by February 11th. And then this is uh, Giving Sunday will be February 18th. And so uh, as we talked about the capital campaign for our new air system and all that stuff in the ladies' bathroom, finishing all that up, um, please keep that in prayer as we are thinking and praying about what to give, that we may raise enough money to uh, make a really good dent, or maybe, who knows, if we have faith, pay this whole thing off. So right after that, we will be having a Pitch and dinner in the ICHA cafeteria. So please talk to Jen about helping to bring food or anything like that so we know how much food we need to have uh, so we can get an accurate head count. And then, looking ahead, this is very exciting. Children's Easter celebration, March 30th. Holly Carver has uh, put this together, this announcement. And uh, this will be uh, an Easter celebration for all families on March 30th from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, we do need candy donations, and she was very helpful and said Valentine's candy will be going on sale very soon, very soon. So there's no excuse. You should definitely be able to get some cheap Valentine's candy and bring it. Uh, it should be individually wrapped and small enough for an Easter egg. The youth probably one night, we will take uh, Wednesday night, and we will pack all that candy up and try not to eat too much of it. But anyways, there will be a plastic tub in the foyer for donations, and then uh, we're also going to try and get some large chocolate crosses as well. So if you uh, like to buy candy... Uh, please buy candy for us and send it so we can ha have a great Easter egg hunt for our families and our kids. And uh, that will be on, that celebration is on March 30th from 1 to 4. Talk to Holly Carver if you need any more inf information. She knows a lot more than I do. So there you go. That's not hard, though, to know more than me. So anyways, thank you so much for everybody who's been so kind. It's great to have my two older sisters here, Jessica and Gretchen, and all their kids. And then we even got my mom and dad to drive all the way over from Newcastle. I knew I wasn't the favorite, but it is so good to see everybody here today. Thank you for being here, and uh, pastor's going to open this service in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to worship you. Pray, Father, that our hearts will be full of praise and adoration to a God who's been so good to us, one that sent his only son into this world, his only begotten son into this world to die for us. We thank you, Father, for the plan of salvation. We thank you, dear Lord, that we can accept it and have accepted that plan, dear Lord, for our lives. It's been implemented, Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed us from all sin. I pray, Father, this morning you'll have your way in every heart that's here today. And, Father, we'll praise and thank you for all that you do in Christ's name. Amen. So stand and worship our living God this morning. Amen. We're going to sing, I stand amazed in the presence. 
worship. Starting a series this morning on worship. And worship is more than just simply raising our hands and giving God praise in a, in a worship service. It entails much more than that. But this is a place where we come corporately as a body of believers to, to praise God for who He is and what He's done in our lives. Amen? Sunday morning isn't just a, a, an exercise, folks. It's, it's more than that. It's an opportunity for us to lift up the holy name of God and give Him the adoration of praise that He has done so much for us. And simply, if He had just saved us, that'd be enough. Amen? But He does more than that in our lives. And so this is an opportunity for us to just worship Him. I know we're feeling a little uncomfortable as we're, as we're going through a transition musically. And sometimes, you know, you don't know what to do and how to do it. Listen, we come, who cares about all of that right now? We've come to worship the Almighty God. Amen. And I want to do that from the depths of my heart this morning. I've come here to lift him up. And as I'm studying on worship, it, you'll, you're, as you'll see in a little while as I, as I begin this series, it, it's, it, it, it's transforming the way that I worship. And I pray that it does in your life too. Let's sing it together one, one more time. I worship come into the presence of the Almighty God. Lord, we can come with an attitude of let me get here, let me go home. We can come, dear Lord, with an attitude of adoration, reverence, and awe of who you are in our lives. We praise you this morning that you're a good God. Lord, we thank you that you created us and you bring life into us. And you've given us this opportunity, dear Lord, to be able to come on a Sunday morning. The day, Lord, that we as Christians have set aside as, as our Sabbath day, Lord. A day, dear Father, when we can come and we can, we can rest and we can worship and we can praise. And Lord, we can join together in fellowship of, of believers of like faith. And we can, dear Lord, give you the adoration and the worship that you deserve this morning. So, Lord, I pray you'll settle down upon our hearts in a very special way and help us to be reminded, dear Lord, we, dear Father, are coming into the presence of the Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, you know our needs this morning. You know, dear Lord, every individual that's represented in this service this morning. You know, dear Lord, what they're facing, what they're going through, the battles of life that they're encountering. Lord, there may be loss, dear Lord, that they're experiencing this morning. We think of our friends, dear God, that, that are struggling right now, dear Lord, with the possibility of loss. And Lord, we pray you'll be with them, dear Lord. I think of Troy and Janelle Keaton right now. We pray, oh God, that you'll reach down and be with that couple in a very special way, that family, Lord. Touch them, dear God, in a very special way today, we pray. 
Lord, there's others that are facing that very same thing, dear Lord. We pray, oh God, that you'll strengthen and encourage them today. Those that can't be with us because of sickness, Father, we pray you'll reach them and touch them this morning and may they feel the hand of the Almighty God upon them this morning. Bless, dear Lord, our, our feeble attempts of worship this morning. Help us, oh God, to be reminded of who you are and what you're doing in our lives, Lord, and lift you up this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing it again.
so much for your giving and that special Jesse thank you for leading us in that and uh, that song is so I love that song Jesse walked up and said uh, we don't really have a special and I said oh sing that one song and he was like I can do it <laughs> yes thank you so much uh, I just love this Jesus your name is power I was reading in my devotions this week in Exodus and uh, they it was a little passage and I you know how many times you read something and it doesn't mean much to you and then you read it later and you're like oh my word that's amazing and it was just uh, God had told Aaron and Moses to do something. He told them to do something. And uh, they complained and they whined like humans do oftentimes. And, and uh, the next verse that stuck out to me so much was, and God spoke to them again. And then they went and did what he said. And I just thought that is so amazing that God whose name is power, who we call to when we need something, who is always there for us, he comes back to us and he says, hey, I told you to do this. Let's talk about this again. And God is so amazing and powerful, but then he's like a, he's a, just a kind, good, gracious father who never turns away from his children. And now is the first time dad, Toby, was crying last night, and I was like, I could just break something. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, it's just maddening. And then he goes, and I was like, oh, it's okay. And then I just thought, this happened in our accident, too. And Courtney said, I'm sorry to bug you. I need your help. And I thought, no, 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 this is a, this is a privilege. And it doesn't always feel like a privilege sometimes. And God spoke to me right then, and he said, 
that's exactly how I treat you. Right. And I thought, right. what? And God said, Travis, that is how I treat you. And that is how we, that, that affects our worship. That affects how God, his name is power, and then he's a good father, and then we can adore him because of all these different things. And that's just, it is amazing to me sometimes how my perspective gets so narrow that I miss those things, and then God just steps right back down next to me, just like he did to Moses and Aaron thousands of years ago, and he speaks to us again. Isn't that amazing? That's the God that we worship. That's why worship is so important. We're not worshiping anything that I do or that you do or that we collectively. We are worshiping the God who made everything and then said, uh, I'm investing in your life. It's amazing. Pastor is starting his worship series today. This is from uh, Psalms 95, 6, and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice. And then jumping to Psalms uh, 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. God, we thank you so much that you're a kind, gracious Father, that in your name there is power, there is healing, there is forgiveness. God, that you have reached down into our lives and dramatically altered us and transformed us into the, the image of your Son. And God, we thank you for that. And God, we just pray that you would help us to worship you, not for the things that we want or for the things that we need, but just because of who you are. God, I pray that you would be with our pastor as he speaks to us today. I pray that you would use it, minister to our hearts, that we would learn how to worship better and individually and as, as a collective group, that you would be praise today, that we would give you blessing, honor, glory forever and ever, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our supreme goal as humanity is to worship our creator. He is our God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We come to worship to glorify him as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And when we enter into his tabernacle, we enter in with a sense of reverence because of his awesome presence and his inexpressible attributes. We, as New Testament Christians, have set aside the first day of the week, which we would call Resurrection Sunday. It's a day of corporate worship where God's people come together to join in glorious union with people of all race and all creeds and, and, and cultures to magnify and praise the everlasting creator of heaven and earth. I'm afraid that the modern church has lost sight of what real worship consists of. Today's churches have a pragmatic, program-driven, prosperity-obsessed mentality that is more centered on human talent and, on, on, and, and abilities and on God's Shekinah glory that fill the tabernacle and brought a sense of reverence and awe to we the worshiper. When we are obsessed with fulfilling human needs, satisfying human desires, manipulating human emotions, and massaging the human ego, we have lost what worship is all about. We must retreat and get back to the basics of worship where God is glorified and he is the center of our affections and our praise. Often we think of worship, we equate it with music. Music is vital to worship, but music is not the main focus of spirit-led worship. 
Jesus in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, tells us what worship is all about. He said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. True worship is a spiritual exercise where truth is proclaimed and God is glorified. It's not an emotional high, but a discipline of grace as we enter the presence of the truth giver. Many churches today, in the modern church, it seems, in the United States of America, it seems the aim is to entertain the unchurched people. It is seemingly organized to draw them in with loud music, music, a shopping mall experience, a commissary filled with sugary drinks and tasty food to impress them and make them feel good about themselves. Folks, that is the polar opposite of authentic worship, where truth is preached, where people are enthralled with the living and practical precepts that God's truth teaches. It's a place of united fellowship. It's a place of jubilant praise. It's a place of seeking God with all of their hearts, their soul, their mind, and their strength. It's a place to reverently come into the presence of the holiness of God with awe and wonder of his glorious deeds and his mighty attributes. It's a place where God's people participate in the sacraments that reminds us of our position in Christ. The theme of worship dominated the Bible. In Genesis, we discover that the fall came when Adam failed to worship God by obeying his one commandment, by disobeying his one commandment. In fact, in Revelation, we see worship as it culminates here on this earth with the redeemed community of believers bowing in reverence and praise to the Redeemer who saved them from the wrath to come. Jesus himself quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He did that in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 30, when he said, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all, with all your strength. Folks, that is the call to worship. And Jesus was identifying and affirming that our first priority is a universal call. It's a universal call to love God with all of our heart. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are recorded. And the very first commandment calls for, and it regulates worship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Every being 
was created to worship God and God alone. He expects and he covets this morning our worship. In the Old Testament, worship covered all of life. God's people were to be preoccupied with it. For an example, the tabernacle was designed and laid out to emphasize the priority of worship. The description of its details requires, listen, it requires seven chapters, 243 verses in Leviticus. Yet in Genesis chapter thir- uh, in Genesis, only 31 verses are devoted to the creation of the world. The tabernacle was designed only for worship. It was where God met with his people. There were no seats in the tabernacle. The Israelites went there to stand, and they went there and they stood in the holy presence of God. Not to be ministered to, not to be entertained, but to worship and serve and magnify and uplift the living God. The arrangement of the camp was set up to suggest that worship was the central activity. The tabernacle was the hub, and the priests led in that worship while the Levites performed their duties of sacrifice, and the 12 tribes faced towards the center, worshiping God in reverence and praise. They were there because it was in this setting and place that they could worship God who had brought them out of Egyptian slavery and had given them freedom as as a nation to live as they wanted to. We too, folks, this morning must remember when we come to worship that we come to worship with a deep sense of gratitude for God for bringing us out of the slavery of sin and giving us new life in Christ Jesus. There's an attitude when we come into the place of worship as an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise for God delivering us from sin. I'm thankful this morning for that, that I'm not bound by the old sinful lifestyle that I once lived. So worship is designed as an attitude of thanksgiving and praise, and it holds a special place in the heart of God and in his created beings. God repeatedly judged those who failed to worship him properly. When the Israelites worshiped the golden calf, God was gracious enough to only slaughter 3,000 people instead of the whole nation. God takes false worship seriously, and the act of disobedience proves it. Leviticus 10 describes the ordination to the priesthood of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron and the high priest. After years of grooming these men and and, and there was preparation for priesthood, they failed to obey God's commands for proper fire. Their their first priestly duties, they blew it. They, they, They disobeyed and failed God's commands for proper fire. And the scripture tells us that they offered up strange fire. Now, we're not sure exactly what that entailed, whether it was unauthorized fire, whether it was imbibed wine, They failed to follow God's prescription for worship, and they were struck dead. God takes worship seriously, and so should we. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to be struck dead if we don't raise our hands in worship this morning. That'd be kind of fearful. We don't want to come in with fear into the presence of God, but yet there ought to be a holy fear of who, of who he is and his awesome holiness, amen? There ought to be a sense of reverence when we come into the presence of the holy God. You know, it's very easy for us to get distracted by what the tabernacle means in the New Testament and the New Covenant, understanding the fact that we are that, that tabernacle. He tabernacles with us in our hearts. And I think because of that doctrine and theology, we have literally dumbed down worship in, 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 in a lot of our churches, frankly. I, I, it, is seemingly, it seems like that we, we can just uh, casually come in and uh, just come seemingly half-heartedly into the worship of God, into the presence of the holy God who corporately comes into the lives of the believers. And when we come together as a corporate body, as people together that are, that, that are, that are coming in for one purpose and one purpose alone, to worship the holy God. I, I think there's, there should still continue to be a, 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 something, there's an awe about that. That we are coming together to worship Yahweh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God takes worship seriously and so should we. Saul described or decided to offer a sacrifice on his own before Samuel arrived and because of his disobedience it cost him and his descendants the throne of Israel. Uzzah, the Kohathite, was a prime example of disobedience to God's instructions for transporting the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the Kohathites had one job, and that one job was to transport the Ark. And they were given specific instructions on how they were to handle it. It was to be carried by poles, pushed through rings, and was covered carefully. And Scripture tells us in Samuel chapter 6, verse 3, so that they will not touch the holy object and die. Again, Samuel describes what happened to Uzzah when he, when he failed to follow God's orders for transporting the ark. It says, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ehu, the sons of Abinadab, were, were driving the new cart. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Uzzah knew that he was not supposed to all first to transport the ark using a cart. He knew, folks, the fatal results of touching the ark. Yet, he disobeyed God, and he died. John MacArthur said this about it. He said, those who offer self-styled worship are unacceptable to God, regardless of their good intentions. Self-styled worship to God. Even though they had good intentions, God does not, he has a specific way to worship him. 
And it seems to me that we've just dumbed it down. One of the reasons why I so strongly feel so strong about this series as we enter into it over the next several weeks is how it seems to me how lightly we've taken worship. I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about as I finish up my master's right now and taking the capstone course, I'm studying the holiness of God. And I don't know if you've ever done a word study on, on, on the holiness of God and in the Old Testament. Now we're working on the New Testament. It's pretty, it'll, it'll, it'll jar your systematic theology, how we view holiness. And I'm not going to go into that this morning and what that all entails. But when you do a word study on the word, on the word holy or sanctified in the, in the Old Testament, you come to a greater awareness of what God considered holy and what God considered unholy. You come to a greater awareness of what God thought holiness, you mean, not thought, showed us what holiness was versus in many ways what we view holiness to be. I, I want to be holy as he is holy, but I want to be holy as he is holy in the context of what he calls holiness and what he believes is holy in the life of the believer. You say, man, Uzzah, poor guy. He's just transporting the ark. Trying to, and, and, and he's trying to do something, you know, you know oh, man, I got to stop this thing from falling. That was, that was a good thing, wasn't it? I mean, the ark didn't fall over. Well, thank God that that, that that happened. The problem was that he knew exactly what he was supposed to do he had one job, and he failed to do that job, and because of that, God struck him dead. And so again, I want to make it very clear how serious God takes our worship, how serious God takes his, his holy places and his holiness. MacArthur, in his book, Worship, the, Almighty, uh, the Ultimate Priority, talks about four kinds of worship that are unacceptable to God. And I'm going to share those with you. In fact, I'm only going to share two this morning. I'll finish the other two um, next week. And I thought that they were interesting, and I, and, I, and I just want to share them with you. First of all, he talks about this, this unacceptable worship to God. Begin, is one thing is, is um, the worship of false gods. God said in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, My glory I will not give to another. In Exodus 34, 14, God said again, You shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And I, and I thought as I looked at that, I said, wow, I, I didn't know that God, I, I mean, I knew that he was jealous, and, and, I, you know, and I know that everything God does is good, and I know that everything God does is holy, but we in the English language, or we that are English-speaking people, would probably not equate holy, a, a jealousy with something good. Sometimes, maybe. You know, I know in, you know, I'm jealous of that, and I want that, and I'm consumed with that because I'm jealous of it, okay, is, is one way to look at it, and that's a negative form of it. I'm jealous of the love that, that I have with my wife. I'm jealous of her love. 
I'm, I'm jealous, of, I, and I want that love to be the only, this is Valentine's week, right? So I can talk on this. I want that love to be, and that affection to be, I'm jealous of that affection. The same applies with God. Listen, folks, God is jealous for our affection. And he wants us to worship him. He's jealous for our worship. And when we worship false gods, we begin a downward spiral that ultimately separates us from God. Remember Paul writing in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, when he said, he, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So I asked the question this morning, so what does this verse indicate about false worship? Number one, first of all, it says there they knew God. I think that ought to give us a sober reminder that we, have an unex- that we can have unacceptable worship to God even as believers if we become consumed with other gods. Now, this particular verse is indicating that these were people that knew who God was, but they did not know him as their personal savior and understand the context of that, of that verse. But yet, if you apply it to those that know God, and we know God, and we know should know him in an intimate way this morning, understanding his jealousy for our, for our worship, that we have a responsibility to worship him in the right way. So they knew God. Secondly, they failed to honor God. And the root sin is the failure to value God above all things so that he is not honored and praised as he should be. The root sin, they fail to honor him, is the failure to value God above all things, so that he is not honored and praised as he should be. When we dishonor and fail to worship God, it brings with it a void that is filled with the worship of other gods. He goes on in Romans, verses 22 and 23 and on from there. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He goes on in verse 24, and it gives the bitter consequences of worshiping false gods. God gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over to the lust of their hearts. He gave them over to impurity. He gave them over to degrading passions. He gave them over to depraved minds. Why? Because they failed to worship him the way that he had asked them to worship him, the way he expected them to worship. False gods this morning may may be either material, material or mythical, supernatural beings. We are really not tempted by mythical beings, supernatural beings. I don't believe as much in, in, in our day here in modern Christianity in the United States of America. I think we're tempted more by material gods. Job said... If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, 
If I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I would have been false to God above. The church today in America is constantly being tempted by false worship. Worshiping your material wealth is a denial of God. That's exactly what Job is talking about in that passage. Worshiping your material wealth is a, is a denial of God. When your material wealth takes away from your worship with the things that God specifically has entrusted all of us with, you have stolen from God what is rightfully his. Worshiping your material wealth. And so we see an unacceptable form of worship is the worship of false gods. Secondly, last point today, the worship of the true God in the wrong form. Worshiping the true God in the wrong form. Exodus chapter 31, verses 7 through 9, records God's response when Israel made a golden calf to worship. I'm going to read it. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are my, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What happened? What happened to these people? Well intentions, good intentions. They intended to worship God. They were worshiping God. But they reduced him to an image like the other nations around them. Later on, Moses addresses this very idea of graven image when he said in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 19, he said, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, and the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is, uh, that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole heaven. What's Moses trying to tell the people here? He's telling them God does not choose and does not reveal himself to the nations of Israel in an embodied or distinct form. There was manifestation of his glory and power in the pillars of smoke and fire, in the miracles and in the glory reflected Remember, on the face of Moses when he came back from his encounter with God. And so it's very clear, according to what God told Moses after he came off of the mount, angrily realizing what the children of Israel were doing below 
to the point that he was going to extinguish them from the face of the earth. We're glad this morning that Moses stood in the gap for the people. I'm sure they're glad for that. And again, I go back, only 3,000 of those people were, were, were uh, taken out because of that, um, that form of worship that God did not put his glory on. Um, but he was making it very clear to these people that God does not wish to be reduced to an image and will not sanction or tolerate that kind of thing in our lives through our own material wealth. He will not bless us as a church or individually if we have reduced him to the almighty dollar, to a sport or an activity, a hobby or a job that takes away from worship on Sunday morning or any other opportunity of the means of grace. Aren't you glad today that this is Super Bowl Sunday? You knew, I, you knew you were not getting out of here today without me mentioning that, right? <laughs> I know I've been very serious and somber this morning, and my humor has not come through, so it needs to now. Um, man, I love, I enjoy sporting activities. I hate to say it, I don't like the word love. Um, because I feel like that might sound as if I have greater love for sporting activities than I do for God, and so i got to be careful, right? Nobody said anything. All right. And I, I, you know, I enjoy great competition. If you know me, everything I do is competitive. My family knows I, I don't like to lose. I want to win at everything I do. And if I asked for hands this morning across this great congregation of folks, you'd have to admit the same thing. I guarantee if I ask you, how many love to lose, just raise your hand. We wouldn't see one single hand that goes up, right? So tonight, this evening, there's going to be a, this football game, if you didn't know. We've actually called it Super Bowl Sunday. It's no longer worship, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We have 21 guys that are going to go out in the field and hit each other. And they're going to try to advance a little piece of pigskin that's inflated with air. And they're going to do their best to keep the other guys, the 11 guys, um, the 11 guys on the one side are going to try to keep the other 11 guys from getting that pigskin across that goal line, okay? And so if they do that enough times, and if they, if they get across the other team's goal line enough times, then they win millions of dollars. Man. And I'm sure most of you realize you're in the wrong profession, right? An exciting time when we get to see some little pop star girl with her little boyfriend and they're going to be out there. You knew that was coming too, right? This, well, anyway, I'm, I need to. <laughs> Is there room for sarcasm in the pulpit? I don't know. <clears throat> anyway. anyway, and people are enamored with it, obviously, and, and people will be 
um, uh, watching. My, my, my thing that I enjoy, relax, as, as you know, is golf. So this weekend, there's also a golf tournament going on, all right? And there are thousands of people. This, this is a tournament, okay, out in Scottsdale, Arizona, that it's just an incredible uh, event, uh, one-of-a-kind one PGA Tour event. And I'm telling you, people are crazy out there. I saw a picture of this guy carrying another guy out of uh, the, uh, off the golf course. He was so drunk he couldn't even walk off. He's just carrying him, just, you know, walking across there. If you saw your news, it came across my news feed. Anybody see it where the, some lady fell out of the stands at the, at the TPC, fell, uh, and didn't get hurt, thankfully? Um, but uh, she fell because she was so drunk. They, will, they, they, were, they were out there this morning in line at 1 a.m., folks. Did you hear me? At 1 a.m. so that they could stay there until the gates opened at, I don't know, 6 o'clock? I don't know what time it is. And they run with all their might to get to the best seats in the house so they can stand there and watch. And I, and I, think it's the, I just think it's the greatest sport because what other sport do you have that you have 6,000 yards uh, that that's, that's your playing field. And you've got to get that little, this little tiny ball in, into this hole in a certain amount of strokes um, over 18 holes. Just my thoughts, okay? So it's, it's, it's incredible in that, from that sporting per, uh, perspective. But what is, is kind of quite amazing is, is that the craze of people that are thronging these places to see these guys compete against one another. And, and, they're, and they're just totally enamored with the whole thing to the point where they'll drink themselves into oblivion and, and they'll spend, I don't know, have any idea what a Super Bowl ticket costs. But I'll guarantee you it's more than, 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 the, than, the, than anything. I, I, don't, I was going to say about the wealth that I've amassed. <laughs> so I can say it that way, just jokingly, because uh, you, you wouldn't call it wealth. And they're just fired up over this thing. I, folks, they're excited. We come into the reverence and the place of God, and, and, and we come to worship, and we barely drag ourselves in, and we, we, it's just it's difficult to get there. But when we get there, we sit there in our comfortable chairs, and, uh, you know, how long is this sermon going to last? And, and, you know, when can we get home to eat our proverbial roast that we put on because they're holiness people, and that's what we do, right? Amen? If you have anything else, you're a sinner. You're not, you're, you, can't, you cannot eat anything else today. <laughs> he will not bless us as a church or individually if, if we have reduced him to the almighty dollar, a sport, an activity, a hobby, or job that takes away from worship on Sunday morning or any other opportunity of the means of grace. When we become content with missing worship and find greater satisfaction and how big our paycheck is, we are in danger of reducing God to an image. I challenge you this morning to consider what brings greater dividends in eternity. When our children see that our priorities and secular activities far outweigh our spiritual activities, folks, we are in danger of setting an example that reduces God to an image. If all that we can give to God is one hour of our assembly with those of like faith a week, we are dangerously susceptible to the temptation of reducing God to a graven image. But John MacArthur said again, idolatry does not begin with a sculptor's hammer. It begins with the mind. 
my job is your pastor. You, 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 you asked me to come and, and to be your pastor. And the responsibility that I have is to be an overseer as an under-shepherd. God has entrusted me with that. And if you want to know something that I deal with the most as a pastor, and every pastor that's in this congregation or ever has been a pastor and is retired knows exactly what I'm talking about is, is the concern that I have for those sheep that are a part of my, of my congregation, that I, that I do all that I can to encourage them and challenge them and give them the word of God and help them to make it to heaven. There's no numbers board on, uh, in our sanctuary. I don't keep track of the numbers. I have guys back there that, that count them. We, we, are, we live in America. We, we are enamored by the numbers. We talk about numbers constantly. How many did you have this morning? Because that is, our, that is success, right? In the American economy, that's our success. Secondly, how much money did you bring in? Pretty much. They don't ask that typically. What was the tide like today? Let me make sure you understand. Folks, listen, we need both. We need people and we need, why? So that we can continue the local church and the local church ministries, amen? We must have that. So what? The local church continues to propagate the gospel to its local community, amen? The less we have, the harder it is for us to be able to do those types of things to get the message that is so vital to our community out there. So yeah, those things are important. But that's not why we come to church. We come to church so that we can become more like Christ. We come to church to see what God has for us today. We come to church to study God's word so that we can be better prepared to be citizens of, of, of God's great kingdom. To be a part of this kingdom work. And then to make it to heaven together one day. To rejoice together down the streets of gold and celebrate that we made it. That we overcame sin. We overcame the world that we live in. We overcame much of the darkness of our society that we live in. And we made it. This isn't about numbers. I don't tell anybody. I don't go out talking. I don't go to conference and tell them how many people we have and, 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 and whatever. Or, or, you know, and the other times we compare ourselves among ourselves. How many do you have? What do you have? And we begin to, listen, that's not what it's all about. It's about genuine worship of the almighty God. And when I don't see you on Sunday or whenever, you know, I don't talk about it much. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned about where your priorities are. Hey, I'm concerned about my own too, folks. I'm just going to flat out tell you, I'm concerned about my own priorities. Idolatry does not begin with a sculptor's hammer. It begins with the mind. I'm going to go on next Sunday, and I'll continue on the next two points. Another kind of deviant worship is the worship of a true God in a self-styled manner. And third, fourth, the worship of a true God in the right way with the wrong attitude. I'll be here a while on that one. We come to worship the almighty King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
we come with holy reverence as a corporate body of believers together to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. Let's pat each other on the back as we leave here this morning and say, you're going to make it. Amen? I'm praying for you. Are you praying for each other? Are you praying for one another? Do you have any idea what anybody's going through ever? I know that we don't want to. I'm not saying be nosy. You can figure it out. We've been going, we've gone through some, over the last several months, we've gone through some difficult times. We've had key people that have passed on. That's difficult on a church. We've had all kinds of stuff that has. That has been hurtful and difficult at times to process we hurt we grieve we grieve our losses yes that's part of it but let me tell you something all hope isn't gone our God is still on the throne he isn't taken back by what we're losing or what we've gone through or what we're going to go through amen if you've been around the church any time at all, you know that you're going to go through the difficult times and the ups and the downs, and they're going to be there and be a part of the, of, of the church. And listen, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we've got to keep plodding forward if that's what you've got to do. I'd rather run, but if you plod, go ahead and plod. Some, some people just plod when they run. I'm at that point now uh, that I'm plodding. But I'm still running because I want to make it. I want to make it to the other side. And I need your help to do that. And you need my help. And we need to encourage one another. And we need to uphold each other in prayer. We need to be to stand behind one another, understanding the burdens that we're facing and what you're going through, the tears that you're shedding, the hurts that you have. And together, we, we cheer each other on. Amen? We cheer one another on. Because we're serving an almighty God who is sovereignly in control of this world and knows exactly what we're going through and what we're facing. And we can be encouraged in the fact that he's still in control. Amen. And so I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because he's not through. The battle, mate, is not over. But I've read the back of the book, and, I, and we win, and I'm thankful that I'm on the winning side, and there's my competitive spirit again. Amen? I want to be a winner. That's part, you know, maybe, see, is that part of why you're a Christian? Maybe. Because I want to win. <laughs> I don't want to lose. The past is the past. The present is the present. We can't live in the past. You hear me, folks? Now I'm meddling but meddle with me. You can't live in the past. The future is bright. If we come to church with, a, with this ho-hum, here I am, what do we, it, it, listen, what encouragement is that to your brother or sister? What, how, well, how encouraging is that? If everybody worshiped just like you, how encouraging would it be? Well, that's a question you have to answer. It's not for me to answer. 
In the midst of our hurt, in the midst of the trials of our life, we still come with the hope of the resurrection. We still come with the hope that he's in control and he knows what's going on in the church. And we come to worship the almighty king of kings with a sense of enthusiasm because he saved us. He sanctified us. He's cleansed us. We have something to rejoice in. Amen? I'm your cheerleader this morning. <laughs> I'm cheering me on, but I'm cheering you on as long, while I do the same. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's believe in one another. Let's believe in the best in one another. Did you hear me? Let's believe in the best in one another. We'll make it together. Amen. I worship him, the almighty God. And I'm so glad that I'm on his side. And I'm so glad today that he's with us and he hasn't forsaken us. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how your word describes for us what real worship looks like. Help us, Father, to worship you. Help us, O oh God, to worship you in your holiness. Help us, Lord, to be reminded when we come in as a corporate body of believers into your sanctuary, Lord, that we will, that we will come, Father, with a heart of worship and thanksgiving and praise and adoration. Thank you, dear Lord, for every individual that's here this morning. I pray you'll bless them and their families, their lives, and their homes. I pray, dear Lord, you'll encourage each one that's here today. Pray, dear Lord, that, you'll, that, that as they leave this place, they'll go, dear Lord, with a new sense of worship, dear Father. And as we go through this series of sermons, I pray, Lord, that that'll be the, 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 the driving concept in, 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 as, we, as we look at this subject. I pray, oh God, that you'll just bless and help us, Lord, as we go about our daily activities, that we'll be a blessing. We'll find rest today as we go to our, our separate homes with our families and our friends. And Lord, bring us back tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.